All right, so this morning we are uh, going to pick up in Isaiah chapter 40, and uh, I think we, uh, we got over the last few weeks through verse 26, so we'll, we're going to uh, eventually uh, pick up with uh, verse uh, 27 and, and at least wrap out the, the, the chapter. To continue to kind of keep this in perspective, remember that Isaiah has always had multiple audiences, to include even us. But specifically in that day, he had a couple of audiences in front of him. Uh, the people that he had been prophesying to, you know, repent and get your act together and, you know, bad things are going to happen and all that sort of stuff. And then looking a little bit ahead to the people who we're going to be in captivity. So the immediate audience that he has mostly been prophesying to up and through the first 39 chapters were the people who were not yet in captivity. And these were even there probably in a couple of groups. You had groups who thought, well, things are going fine here. You know, Hezekiah's a good king. Things are looking pretty good these days. And um, we're not as bad as those people in the north, and we're going to be fine. People who might not have really been thinking very seriously about uh, their own sin and their own ways that needed to be changed and so forth. Then you probably had those people who were starting to believe some of the things that Isaiah was saying and say, you know, those people up north, they've been in bondage for quite a while now, and they didn't think anything was going to happen to them either, and maybe this could happen to us, and maybe I should start to take this seriously, and that sort of thing. So you had those sorts of people who were maybe starting to be a little bit more sober-minded about things. If we consider them kind of the Isaiah's contemporaries, and now he's starting to, to look a little bit beyond them, and most people feel that from chapters 40 and following, are very much directed to the people who are going to be in captivity in Babylon. And maybe even those folks that, having been in captivity, now maybe are coming back to reestablish things in uh, the nation of Israel. So looking down the road, you know, uh, a, long, a long time. Uh, think about that as we as we move forward, because to really understand chapter 40, you have to think that there are a couple of kind of big rhetorical questions that, that Isaiah is starting to ask. And if you look back to the first part of chapter 40, verses 1 through 11, you kind of have this big question. Uh, you know, it starts off as we looked, comfort, O oh, comfort my people. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and so forth. This whole chapter might address if you were in a foreign land. You're kind of unsettled, you know. I thought we were God's chosen people. You know, our world has really been changed. Where do we stand? And here we have this message of comfort. Um, you know, God, God loves you. He cares for you. Uh, and to to focus specifically on verse 11, 
Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Here we picture God as shepherd. Hasn't forgotten his flock. He hasn't um, lost his ability to care for uh, us as, as a people. So there are some words of comfort there. And then beginning in verse 12, as we saw last week and going on to where we are now, we have this concept of, you know, is, is God able to get us out of this mess? Is he, is he up to the task? Uh, is God really going to be able to somehow fix all this? And so that's why we have this big thing on reminding us who God is and how great he is and how, you know, his role in creation and, and just... You know, I, I, I don't know. I'm assuming, you know, we talk about things, well, that was just like a drop in the bucket. Well, this is the first reference I've ever seen. You know, verse 15, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Um, because, you know, all these nations that were around, right, pressing and attacking and these big negotiations and what's going on in Egypt and what happened with the Assyrians and now the Babylonians and all these people. And it's like, you know, all these nations, they're nothing. They are nothing. You know, and, you know, even today we have, we have people who, you know, look at their horoscope in the newspapers you know, where astrologers have somehow looked at the stars and determined that that has some effect on what's going to happen to us. I mean, it, it sounds silly, right? But that's happened for literally millennia. And in verse 26, he says, look at the one who's, who's in charge of the stars. All right, the, char the stars are not in charge of us. Let's, let's bypass the whole star thing. Let's look at the one who created the stars. And just in case any of you were, were wondering, as it says in the latter part of verse 26, none of them is missing. All the stars are right where they're supposed to be. So if we look at these two sections of Isaiah 40, we can think of beginning with verse 27 to the end of the chapter, kind of as a little bit of a summary on the early parts of the chapter. So in verse 27, we have two questions, right? We talked about a question in the first part of the chapter, um, does God still care about us and that sort of thing? And then the second part is God up to the task. So now let's look at these two questions in verse 27. It says, why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My way is hidden from the Lord. This is the people saying, and you could imagine, again, if they were in exile, saying, has God forgotten us? Does he even know what's going on? Does he see what we're up against here? Um, is he paying attention to us? And all these questions that I'm sure would start rattling around in their heads because as humans, we're prone to doubt, right? Uh, we don't, it doesn't take us long before we forget. You know, um, it's like, uh, 
you know, uh, you, you have a, a, a kid and you say, okay, stay right here, I'll be back. Well, just how long does it take before that child starts to squirm? Probably about as soon as the adult's out of eye shot, right? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take long. You know, next thing you know, it's, I, I don't know, when's he coming back? And, you know, it could probably be less than five minutes and it seems like 50 years. And so it's wonder, you know, is, is my way, is it hidden from the Lord? You know, what's, what's up? Has God forgotten? Is he, what about that? The second question, and what about the justice due me? It says, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? So we have the first question, does God know what's going on? And the second question, is God going to do anything about this? What, is God going to get in the game here? You know, things are not going well. Um, it, you know, it's kind of funny, right? And the justice do me. I mean, that is very human, right? Somehow we expect some that we have some rights and that we're due justice. Um, I think this was uh, you know, part of Job's misunderstanding early on that, and we all do this, right? You know, well, this just isn't right. I, I just don't think this is right. And, we, and of course, the last thing as humans, right? We understand this, right? The last thing we want is justice, right? I mean, that's the last thing we want, is justice. Um, uh, we, we certainly want mercy, where we don't get what we do deserve. And then, of course, Isaiah in the coming chapter is going to really explore the Old Testament version of grace, where not only do we not get what we do deserve, grace says we get what we don't deserve, right? So it's, it's just kind of funny that... We're going to say, and what about, what about justice? <laughs> Never ask for justice. Um, ask for mercy, ask for grace. You do not want justice. That's, that's a very, <laughs> that's not what you want. That's just not what you want. So let's look at how God, through Isaiah, answers these questions that Isaiah looks into the future and just knows that they're going to have. Verse 28, do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. His understanding is inscrutable. To the first question, is my way hidden from the Lord? And the answer is, God understands. He understands more than you know. He really understands. He understands from the perspective of the Creator. He knows the ends of the earth. He knows how this thing started. He knows how it's going to turn out. He knows everything in the middle. Uh, 
I am not a super creative person. It's just, it's not a big thing. Um, I can appreciate those who have creative skills. Um, I'm supposing here that if someone is going to create something, they may not know exactly how it's going to turn out, but they probably have a general idea of how it's supposed to turn out. Uh, Jane, you do quilts, right? I'm sure there's a certain amount of planning involved. You probably have a general idea of what it's going to look like toward the end, right? right. It's going to look like a quilt for sure. Uh, <laughs> but you probably know roughly what it's going to be because you've kind of planned all that before the start. Um, I'm sure there are writers who may not end up exactly where the characters all were when they started writing because ideas come in their head, but they probably know the outline of the plot. They probably know pretty much how things are going to go. Um, and that's just on a human level. You know, here it says, God knows, God knows, the creator of the ends of the earth. His understanding is inscrutable. So that's the first answer. Your way is not hidden from God. He knows exactly what's going on. But that's only partial comfort, right? To, to have a God that knows what's going on but doesn't seem interested in, in addressing the situation, that's not, that's not super comforting, right? It's a little bit comforting. Well, at least somebody knows. What we really want to know is what's going what's gonna to help here. And so verse 29 addresses this you know, is God going to do anything about it question. Verse 29, it says, He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly. And then, of course, one of the more famous verses, our well-known verses in the whole book, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Uh, yes, God understands, but, but yes, God is there to, to do some stuff here. He's, he's, he's giving us, in essence, some promises. And I picked out a few promises from these verses. First of all, we have the promise that we're going to have God's power. We're going to have God's power. It says he gives strength to the weary. Uh, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Uh, we're going to have God's power as part of him being our shepherd and him looking out for us and him being the creator. He knows what we need. And one of the things we need is is power to do things, power to, to, um, to live things every day, to, to do life every day. We've talked about we're going to get his understanding. We're going to get his willingness to help. In this whole section, it talks about that 
He's going to be there for us. He's going to be infusing us uh, with help. He's not just standing back, aware of what's going on, but not interested. He is promising here that he's willing to help us. In fact, he promises that he will help us. It's not just that he's capable of it. He is inclined <coughs> to do it. He is inclined to, to help us. And I think the, um, you know, what's interesting is, you know, what does this help look like? And I think that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. And we can talk about that a little bit. And then the other thing it says that we're promised is his perfect timing. It says... Yet those who wait for the Lord. So there's going to be some, some waiting involved, and I want to talk about that a little bit as well. So those are our key verses. And as, as we have often looked in early Isaiah, um, as we start to say, okay, well, what does this mean to me? What am I going to do with these verses? And I hope all of you asked those questions. And to help guide us, I've said, okay, well, what does this passage say about man, and what does this passage say about God? Lots of things, of course, but I think just, just one very obvious thing that came out to me was, man, it, we just always have questions. We always have questions. And we have questions about... Um, Things, I think, in part because we're insecure. Uh, we, we know we don't know the future. We don't know how things are going to turn out. It's uncomfortable, right? Um, uh, I've always kind of been interested in games, and a lot of times when you're playing a game, um, you're kind of making a decision strategically based on what you think everybody else is going to do, right? Um, but you don't have complete information, right? You don't know exactly what the other person has in their hand, say if you're playing cards or dominoes or whatever. You don't know exactly what they have, but you're going you're gonna to make your play based on your best strategy, and, but it's, it's never full information. Full information is when somebody just lays their cards on the table, so to speak, and well, now you've got full information. Now you know what the best play is and so forth. But in life, we're, we're constantly making decisions on incomplete information, right? We, you, you just make a good assessment of what you know, and you can go from there. God, of course, has complete information. But yeah, man always has questions. Always has questions. Well, the corollary to that is God always has answers. He always has answers. And I think it's really... I got to thinking that... This whole chapter is a picture of how God is a great leader. It's part of this shepherd concept. Because a good leader of a group kind of lets you know where things are going, lets you know that things are going to be okay. Um, I'm sure those that are going to be traveling to uh, different places, uh, like the Israel trip, you probably have a little confidence knowing that you're going to have a guide. And even though you don't know all the ins and outs and how to get where you're going, you know someone who does, right? And 
you kind of, okay, well, that, that's one of my questions. Who's in charge here? And are they going to take care of us? Have they done it before? And so here we have the ultimate God. God is saying, you know, I've got this. I, I know where this is going. Um, so we can start to, to build our trust in him. So one of the things we learn about man is that we always have, always have questions, and it's often born of lack of information and insecurity. And then we have God giving us the answers. And remember, he's giving these folks answers to questions that future generations are going to ask. Not just a few hundred years after they're written, but a few thousand years after they're written for us. So this is God revealing himself to us, saying, all right, I've got this. You can trust me. So those are the things we learn about man, things we learn about God. Let's look at a couple other little things just to, to bring out. And this is a thought question. I, occasionally I run across things in commentaries, and I'm like, that's interesting. I'm not sure I understand that totally. I'm not sure I belie believe it. But I want to think about it a little bit, so let me toss this one out to you. Again, this famous verse in verse 31, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like the eagle. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Of course, pastors for years love these categories, right? Um, okay, so what do we know about these people that are going to mount up and fly? And what about these folks that are going to run? And what about these folks that are going to walk? And I'm sure somebody like Spurgeon could probably go on for four days on those things. Um, one commentator said, well, uh, this, these are the different stages of Christian maturity that, um, that uh, the really young just might feel like they're flying, that, that they are um, uh, you know, kind of unencumbered and all this sort of thing, and, and that maybe more adult type Christians are going to you know, be running this race and, and be supported. Um, but the, the really mature people know that it's just really daily and, and it's just a one step at a time sort of walk with God. I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. I'm not, that may be more of a preacher sort of a thing, but so just think about that. I'm not, uh, I, thought, I thought it was an interesting way to look at it. I'm not sure um, that may be reading too much of that, but I thought that was interesting. Uh, the other thing that I came across to, um, to kind of think about some applications for this passage was I found several quotes that make the point that it's really important to think about perspective. And I've talked about the perspective of people in exile and the perspective of us having incomplete information and so forth. So um, they said uh, one this was uh, a quote from uh, Warren Wearsby. Said, if you look at others and be distressed, look at yourself and be depressed, look to God and you'll be blessed. I thought that was pretty good. And of course, this whole chapter talks a lot about perspective, right? Um, getting the eyes off our own little circumstances. Does God understand me? Does God care about me? Um, to Isaiah saying, you need to look around. You need to look at the stars. You need to look at the universe. You need to look at the creation. You've got way too small a perspective. So the importance of perspective. Um, another quote, it says, when you behold the greatness of God, then you will see everything else in life 
in its proper perspective. I think that's a, a good summary for this. And then finally, talking about how the things that are happening to us in the moment um, doesn't really always put us in the best um, position to have that good perspective. It says, someone has defined circumstances as those nasty things you see when you get your eyes off God. Your circumstances are those nasty things you see when you get your eyes off of God. Uh, so I think that's, that's pretty good. And he goes on to say, if you look at God through your circumstances, he will seem small and very far away. But if by faith you look at your circumstances through God, he will draw very near and reveal his greatness to you. Uh, I thought that was uh, pretty good there. And then finally, uh, something to think about. Um, this concept in verse 31, those who wait for the Lord. Those who wait for the Lord. Before I kind of give you a couple of my thoughts, what does that phrase bring to mind? What do you think about people who wait for the Lord? What about, what does that mean? Those who wait for the Lord. Don't be anxious. So, say that again, Pastor. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Wait for So just wait. So in other words, you see a little bit of a command here as he's talking about those who wait for the Lord, kind of the implication is you should wait for the Lord. All right, don't be anxious. All right, who else? Trust. Trust. I mean, when we, when we can't see the end of this, you know, it will put our perspective on what Really, if we do, we'll know that he's got it. He's got it. And regardless, so the person who is waiting for the Lord has better perspective, knows that God does see the end of this and knows that he is capable. All right? Don't try to do everything in your own might. Realize that you can't. Don't try to do everything in your own might. Realize that you really can't. Get in your perspective proper. Lean not on your own understanding, but wait on the Lord. Patience. Patience. Not one of humanity's stronger suits, right? <laughs> Waiting. Um, a couple of a couple of verses. Uh, psalm twenty-seven, just a great psalm. Uh, verse eleven. I'll just read a few verses. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Kind of echo CW of. Proverbs 3 there. Verse 12, do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me. And such as breathe out violence. I, goes on to say, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. Think about that. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. 
And then I think the greatest example of New Testament waiting, a little bit of a different story, in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, and he was looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Some translations say he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And of course, he gets to see Jesus because he was waiting. Uh, many people have written that waiting is not a passive thing, or at least it shouldn't necessarily be a passive thing. Um, that waiting should be an active thing, right? Um, considering who God is, considering uh, what God has for us to do uh, in that day, in that moment. Um, I think the, the dirty little truth is most of life is kind of waiting, right? I mean, think about it. We've heard about trip to Israel, right? How long has that trip been planned? When did, it, when did y'all start planning for it? October. October. So we've had what? Nine months? And what have you been doing those nine months? Waiting. <laughs> waiting. But you weren't just waiting, right? You were making your list. You were paying your money. You were maybe researching about where you were going to go. You were looking ahead. You were maybe looking at pictures from previous trips. You were anticipating. You were looking at what was going to happen. So yes, you were waiting, but you weren't just twiddling your thumbs. I wonder if anybody under 40 knows what twiddling your thumbs is. <laughs> <laughs> it just occurred to me. Um, you do? You got that? Okay. Um, I wonder if anybody under 15 knows what to do. Um, so we're waiting, right? Um, but should, be we, should we be waiting sitting on our hands? No. Um, the, again, it's occurred to me that and, and people have said it different ways, right? People have said, well, you know, life is not about the destination, it's about the trip, right? I mean, sometimes cliches stay cliches because there's a little bit of truth to them. Um, I think one of humanity's tendencies is to get it backwards, right? We're always looking for some other point in time where we want to be. And we, we don't pay as much attention to this in between, the daily part. I mean, in essence, Christianity has been waiting for over 2,000 and some years for the next thing, right? But haven't we seen some groups, some 
maybe even well-intended Christians who, as they say, get so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. You know, the Thessalonians who said, well, you know, I know something, you know, the next thing's coming. So, yeah, I think I'm calling in today. I'm not going to work because I, I just think God's got something great going to happen today. So, I'm just looking for that next thing. But most of life is about the in-between parts. And this thing about waiting for the Lord, and I do think maybe there is something to be said that the last verse says, they will walk and not be weary. Because walking's what you do on the in-between part, right? Walking's not as dramatic as running. I have a very limited experience with running. Walking is not as fancy as flying. I have limited experience with flying. It's the walking part. It's the daily stuff. Um, I mean, in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. I think God's call to us most of the time is to the daily devotion, right? Um, do you think it's an accident that that God set up the course of a week at a time that it wouldn't be once every decade that we get reminded about who he is. Once a week we get reminded of who God is and that sort of thing. So much more frequent and you know the the, the daily pulling into the word and the, the step by step. There was another quote I came across that exemplifies this. Um, talking about trust, it said, one commentator says, here we come back to the theme of trust. The concept of trust as waiting has appeared several times earlier in the book. It says, to wait on God is not simply to mark time, Rather, it is to live in confident expectation of his action on our behalf. Let me read that again. To live in confident expectation of his action on our behalf, it is to refuse to run ahead of him in trying to solve our problems for ourselves. Pretty good. And then... One final thing I came across, and uh, I'm blanking on which missionary person this was attributed to, but they were talking about you know his great things he had done for God. He said, well, I'm not really doing that much. Um, I can't do this. I can't do that. He said, but I can plod. I can plod. I can plod. I can plod along. I can show up. I can be faithful. I can do what's before me today. And isn't that pretty much all God asks of us? Right? Thank you for your participation today. Think about what it means to wait and to, to do the daily plodding as it might seem sometimes. And then we can really be thankful for when those great things happen along the way.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your day, this day. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you're a good shepherd who not only cares for us, but, but reveals yourself to us so that we know that we have someone who loves us and is so trustworthy. We thank you for your son by whom we receive all of these gifts. In his name I pray. Amen. Thank you.